at a very fundamental level that the Federal Reserve or JP Morgan or MakerDAO or Steeth or Eigenlayer or any of these liquid restaking protocols, they're built in the same way and they have very similar challenges of managing assets and liabilities. And frankly, let's just let's just be honest. Eventually these things will be transparent and on-chain. There'll be these services that we can track it one for one in real time. Check the code is kind of a meme now. There aren't enough people that actually know how to check the code. All right, everyone, getting to be that time of year again where we are four months out from DAS London, the largest, oldest institutional conference in all of crypto. But it's also Thanksgiving and Black Friday. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, Mike, I'm a loyal listener of Bell Curve here. I've been wanting to go to DAS London, but I've been waiting for my Black Friday deal. I just haven't seen something from you yet. Well, don't you worry, dear listener. I and the good marketing folks at BlockWorks have intuited that, and we are rolling out our Black Rock Friday deal special. See what we did there? Black Rock Friday, institutions are coming and all that. For the next five days, if you head over to the DAS London site, which you can see linked in the show notes here, you will get 20% off of the group pack. So that's four packs. So grab family members that are interested in crypto, grab folks from your company and come hang with the growing list of speakers in London. We've got the guys from Framework, Santi's coming out there, Evgeny Gavoy of Wintermute, a bunch of the big European funds, Electric, 1KX. This is going to be a really, really good one. So Hope to see you there with the entire BlockWorks family in London in March. All right, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Bell Curve. Before we jump in, quick disclaimer, the views expressed by my co-host today are their personal views and they do not represent the views of any organization with which the co-hosts are associated with. Uh, nothing in the episode is construed or relied upon as financial, technical, tax, legal, or other advice. You know the deal. Now let's jump into the episode. All right, everyone, welcome back to another episode of Bell Curve. You got Miles and I here today. Miles, how you doing, buddy? Great to be back. Another another deep dive fireside chat. Um, if you want to tee it up, I'll let you. Yeah, this is gonna be this is gonna be a fun episode because this is actually a little bit of a revisiting uh, of an old theme that we that we talked about a couple of seasons ago that has become relevant again. So this episode is gonna be a deep dive on liquid restaking, and we're gonna get very into the weeds on how that actually works, um, as well as some of the new uh, protocols that are up and about to launch. But uh, I would highly recommend uh, for folks, liquid restaking, Miles and I did a an episode on, or a whole season on liquid staking, which was one season ago. Highly recommend that folks go back and listen to that, particularly the episode on restaking that Miles and I did with Sriram. But throughout the entire course of that season, there was intersection of liquid staking and restaking. And we sort of hypothesized or mused about this idea of liquid restaking. But back then, I think we thought eh, maybe this was going to happen, uh, but far off into the future. And I think you and I wanted to do this episode now because it looks like, wow, there are a lot of teams that are operating somewhat on the DL. Some are just starting to to come out. And this looks like this is something that's going to happen sooner than I think you and I both thought. Yeah. Well, let's be honest. I think it was one of those things that we knew was probably going to happen um, for all the same reasons that liquid staking you know, is, is inevitable, right? Um, once the, you know, the, the ability to, to retain your like liquidity and, and also have in the higher yield is available. There's, there's no way that, you know, it's not going to happen. So here we are a couple of months later with, uh, over 10 liquid restaking protocols, um, that have launched or at least announced that they're entering the space. And, um, you know, I can layers a few months, you know, at most away from, from going to mainnet. So. It's uh yeah, time to time to see how this plays out. It feels timely. I agree. So, guys, in terms of the agenda for for this episode, Miles and I are going to do a little bit of a 
uh, a recap on our framework for looking at protocols like uh, or liquid liquid restaking protocols and how they're similar to restaking protocols like I'd, uh, Eigenlayer, uh, Lido, uh, stablecoins. There's kind of a commonality between some of these protocols that we're going to be talking about. Then we're going to get into sort of the different models that exist for liquid restaking. Miles is going to call on you to kind of walk us through pros and cons and where you see the dominant model being. Uh, then I think we're going to spend some time getting into kind of the competitive d- dynamics between all the different players that exist in this liquid restaking supply chain. Uh, and then when maybe we can view sort of at the end of what this actually means for ETH and this new sort of era of ETH exporting security and what that means for value accrual, we can end on some sort of higher level, um, higher level consequences. But for now, I, I want to walk folks through, uh, this was a theme that that you and I touched on quite a bit during that season of liquid staking. And uh, we had several guests uh, discuss the similarity between different types of protocols that on the surface look very different, but under the hood look extremely similar. So this this comes this diagram, if you're following along via video, this comes to us from Adrian over at Steakhouse. Shout out Adrian and all the chefs over in the, the Steakhouse. Um, and, but this is something that Sam uh, Kazamian of Frax talked to us about as well, which is there are these very different entities. And what we're actually looking at here is illustrative capital structures of the U.S. Federal Reserve, J.P. Morgan, MakerDAO, Steeth, and I think we could add Eigenlayer and liquid restaking balance sheets to this as well. But basically, the similarity is when you look at it from a balance sheet standpoint, you have um, assets um, on one side of the balance sheet, which are sort of yield-bearing assets. And then you have liabilities in the form of, in the form of these sort of uh, callable deposits, right? So for something like a bank, right, you have the, the callable deposits, which is cash that you deposit to a bank. Then they turn around and put that in uh, very liquid securities like treasuries, or they put it out as loans. Um, and what they're trying to do is it's a net interest margin business where they're trying to manage uh, duration and risk of the assets and the ability for those liabilities to be called. So there's kind of deposits, debt, and then an equity buffer on the liability side of the balance sheet. And that's actually very similar for for crypto protocols as well. So you've got MakerDAO uh, as an example. Steeth is a really good example of that, where there's kind of this two-sided marketplace, where if you look at it from the, the standpoint of assets and liabilities, you have uh, staked Ether. So you have sort of your your um, network of operators that are earning ETH bearing yield. And then the callable deposit is Steeth, right? And then there's a surplus kind of insurance fund. So that's that's kind of the, the framework that I think you and I want folks thinking about when we start to get into some of the weeds of what these liquid restaking uh, protocols and uh, kind of look like actually under the hood. Any, anything to add here or, or what, what, you know, what do you think about this? No, I think that makes sense. I think we'll, we, we can get into it. Um... You know, this is adding another layer of of risk and complexity, I think, to that original model. Um, and we can talk about some of the pros and cons there um, and, and the different ways to do it. But, you know, overall, it's the same idea of, of, you know, you have a demand side of assets coming in. You have, you know, those assets are deployed to some yield generating activities or, and, and operators. Um, and then you're giving the users, you know, a derivative on the other side that they can go use in DeFi. Um, and, you know, I think, again, we can get into kind of the differences in models, but some of them will look more like Maker, where you can, you know, depending on the risk of the underlying collateral, you can mint, you know, less than one-to-one or maybe one-to-one if it's if it's the least risky. And then others will, will look more like Lido, I think, where you're really depositing into a vault or, you know, get a derivative one-to-one and then the protocol is managing all that, you know, allocation and risk management on your behalf. Yeah, I, I would say 
two two concepts to keep in mind as we go through this episode is principal agent risk and fungibility, which are both extremely important concepts to understand uh, for these protocols. So principal agent problem is this sort of difference or uh, a divergence in incentives in between the principal holders of something and agents who are acting on their behalf. So this is relevant for all of these protocols who are like, let's just take the case of Lido, where there's a delegator, right? So they'd be the principal in this instance that's coming to Lido and saying, hey, I want to delegate some of my ETH. Um, and then there's Lido, who is the agent, and how they're being an agent in this in that respect is they're they're choosing which operators, so which you know professional stakers or eventually community stakers to actually delegate that ETH to, right? So principal agent risk is something to understand, and then there's the concept of fungibility, right? There there are intense power laws for these businesses because they want that that token or derivative or kind of claimable deposit to be viewed as money, right? That's the goal of something like Lido. They want Steeth to be the dominant asset. There are huge uh, power laws there. They want it to be basically one for one good with, with ETH. Um, and so one of, one of the key, uh, one of the key things that Steeth needs in order to do that is kind of this idea of fungible one-to-one, right? And, it, on, and something like, like a Lido that's, a little bit easier than than the situation in something like restaking or liquid restaking because all the operators are doing the exact same thing, right? These are all validator nodes that are staking and earning consensus level and execution layer rewards. But that's not necessarily the case in something like uh, a restaking or a liquid restaking protocol, which we can get into, which just adds an entire new batch of complexity. Yeah. Absolutely. I, and I think we, it's probably worth like just doing a quick rehash of what the, the eigenlayer model looks like without, um, liquid restaking tokens. And then from there we can, you know, overlay, okay, where are these protocols coming in? Um, and how do they impact the user experience and, um, you know, essentially potentially impact like the eigenlayer marketplace itself at some point, if they're, if they're, if they get large enough. Yeah, that's, I'm just going to tee you up there, Miles. Can you just give us a, a refresher on the Eigenlayer protocol, what it looks like from kind of a marketplace perspective, and then the different operating models that people can use with, with Eigenlayer, and then we can get into where liquid restaking belongs there. Okay, awesome. So just to rehash, I guess, what the Eigenlayer model is here. Um, so if we recall, Eigenlayer is a marketplace for Ethereum's trust. Um, on one side, the supply side, you have stakers, either LSTs or, or native stakers that have, you know, are basically securing Ethereum, um, the protocol. And on the other side of the marketplace, you have protocols like rollups, shared sequencer sets, um, you know, other POS chains that want to rent this existing security. And they also want the operators, Ethereum operators to do additional jobs for them. And in the same way that normal staking works. They basically have, you know, a set of operators. They're doing a job that secures the protocol. If they do a good job, that leads to positive externalities. Um, and if they do a bad job, then they need some sort of economic punishment, right? So they will be slashed. Um, and so here you have the supply side for Eigenlayer are the native stakers and LST holders. Um, they will go, if you're, you know, a staker or an LST holder and you say, okay, great. I want extra yield. Um, and I'm willing to take on a little bit more risk for that extra yield. So I deposit my, you know, LST or I deposit, you know, my, my native stake to Eigenlayer. And then I will go and pick which AVS 
um, which is the demand side. So these are protocols, again, like POS chains, you know, uh, rollups, anything. Um, I will decide, okay, which AVS do I want to restake to and which operator of that AVS specifically do I want to delegate my stake to? Um, and this is, this is a complicated, you know, sort of decision, right? You, not everybody is going to be an expert at evaluating, you know, the slashing conditions of these AVSs, evaluating the performance and risk associated with various operators. Um, but they do want extra yield, right? And that is where liquid restaking tokens come in. Most of these liquid restaking tokens are, have, have recognized that there is demand from Ethereum stakers and LST holders for extra yield. Um, yet there's probably less demand for, you know, specifically these, the supply side to really want to choose themselves, which ABSs and operators to pick, um, you know, in the same way that Lido does arguably a better job at choosing, you know, how stake is delegated than, than users, if they had their own choice. Um, that is the role that most of these liquid restaking protocols are going to play. And so, as you can see here, they basically wedge themselves in Eigenlayer's marketplace between the demand side for, for, for them, which is Eigenlayer's supply side, um, being the stakers and LSTs and the supply side for liquid restaking again is the demand side for eigenlayer um and so basically if i'm holding steeth just to walk through this i will come over come go to the website of one of these liquid restaking protocols i will deposit my you know steeth and then the liquid restaking pro protocol will deposit that to eigenlayer on my behalf um and then the liquid restaking protocol will basically allocate all of these deposits across a set of AVSs and operators that they have onboarded. And on the other side, they will give me a derivative of, of my basically restaked Ethereum. Um, and so how is this different than normal LSTs? I think like the most clear difference is in the amount of risk that they're managing. Um, you know, as you mentioned earlier, right, if I bring my ETH to Lido, I give it to Lido and then they go find, you know, different node operators to, uh, to, to, to allocate that to, and I get extra yield. Um, it's hard enough, I guess, uh, evaluating the performance and, and risk associated with, uh, operators for Lido, um, when all those operators are doing the exact same job, right? They're all just proposing blocks on Ethereum. Now with liquid restaking, these protocols are going to take on, you know, a lot more responsibility. They have. And ju just to underscore miles, why that's, why that's sort of a, a more manageable, a difficult, but manageable task is because if they're all performing the same exact set of activities, then you can have some sort of standard criteria for ranking them, right? You can apply, you can apply a shared framework to say, and by the way, just to you know, there obviously Ethereum has a, a large ecosystem of solo stakers, but especially the original node operators in Lido, we're talking about professional staking companies like Chorus One, Blockdaemon, Figment, et cetera. So it's much easier to take a, re a relatively smaller, you know, a relatively smaller group of companies that are all doing the same thing and apply a standard uh, framework for risk assessment, scoring, all of that kind of stuff. But when you open it to this wide world of AVSs, and it could be a sequencer or an Oracle or some other validator on a completely different L1 that has a totally different set of consensus and rules. You, yep. you can't apply any sort of standard framework. So the, the operational load 
for the underwriter, right? The liquid restaking uh, protocol is just much, much higher, much harder to get right. Right. Of course, because if something goes wrong, just like liquid staking, those losses are socialized across the whole, the entire holder base, right? And so you need to be, if you're a liquid restaking protocol, you need to be, you know, very, very careful about which AVSs you onboard based off of their own specific AVS, you know, slashing condition risks um, and technical risks, right? Like bugs, something could go wrong there. And you're evaluating the operators associated, you know, that have, that have opted into securing those additional protocols. Um, and so my guess is this is going to look very similar to LSTs did when they first started, right? These operators are likely only going to be professional node operators. Um, and it's a little bit less clear to me exactly how conservative they're going to be with AVSs because to date, you know, before Eigenlayer has launched yet, um, we don't know exactly, you know, how risk is going to vary, like how highly it's going to vary across AVSs. But the bottom line is the liquid restaking protocols have two layers of risk that they need to evaluate and then manage on an ongoing basis um, in allocating all of these deposits across operators and AVSs. And if they do a good job, it's very happy days. Like you get the equivalent of steep, right? Because it's all fungible with each other. Um, except you're getting extra yield, right? Um, and, and there's no slashing, hopefully. So, you know, I think for the most part, you know, the ceiling, I guess, for a lot of these liquid staking, um, protocol, liquid restaking protocols is that their derivative will have the, you know, equal to steep in terms of liquidity and integrations and use cases, but with extra yield. Um, and now to do that, it's going to be, you know, it's going to, it's going to be, take some very, very careful management. Yeah. So basically to, to sum up here, maybe to connect this, uh, this diagram that we're looking at with some of the uh, diagrams that we were looking at before, you can actually start to see, you know, even that what, what we're talking about is much more logistically complex underneath the hood. There's still that same exact dynamic of a balance sheet here of uh, managing assets and liabilities. So in this case, the liability is the easiest to understand. It's the liquid restake token. Uh, but the, the asset side is what becomes a lot more complicated here. And, you know, you, in theory, you're connecting these two parties, which, uh, you know, which really ought to be connected, right? Which is people who want to earn extra yield on their stake ETH. Okay, there's a lot of incentive there. And then there are all these other actively validated services, which we've just kind of talked about in this, you know, it's in this uh, you know, yep. group together way, but it's really a very heterogeneous sort of group. So alternative layer ones that want to, you know, solve the cold start problem or, you know, pay for security and not just inflate their tokens into infinity, uh, you know, oracles, uh, sequencers, whatever that, whatever that ultimately ends up being, there's very rich sort of ecosystem there. I, I have, I do have a question for you, Miles, maybe, um, you know, if, what we're looking at here, maybe for, for listeners who aren't watching via video, we're looking at a diagram here of sort of all the way on the left, the the native stakers and LSTs, which are moving into sort of liquid restaking vaults, which is actually going to be sort of the front end that users ultimately end up interacting with, right? You're going to take your steep yeah. to the liquid restaking vault. You're not actually going to see Eigenlayer. Eigenlayer is on the back end. They've already onboarded a bunch of these AVSs and operators. There's going to be overlap in between the actively validated services and operators between Eigenlayer and some of these different liquid restaking tokens the the liquid restaking you know token uh, protocols Jesus so many words here uh, are going to decide uh, which AVSs and operators they want to be a part of their token and that's what the asset part of the the balance sheet is going to look like then the 
the, right. Right. the derivative, so, so the liquid restaking. Basically, these liquid restaking protocols are going to allocate deposits to a subset of eigenlayers, AVSs, and AVS operators. Um, and in the same way that, you know, Lido is now expanding into different staking modules and they're adding like, you know, solo staking, the community staking module, they have the DVT module, right? As these, I guess, you know, liquid restaking protocols start to take off their training wheels and get comfortable, they're going to start, you know, like similarly um, being able to onboard more and more, you know, different AVSs and, and more operators so that maybe at some point, you know, the, the construction of these liquid staking, um, you know, what's backing these liquid staking tokens, um, you know, it's no longer a small subset of, of Eigenlayer's universe and, and maybe it covers the majority. I think that's the best case scenario. Um, okay. but you have to be careful. That's, that's a good, that's a good analogy. So is, could we look at something like this? Cause I was going to ask you like, why doesn't, I guess the obvious question here, um, or something that I was definitely wondering is why Eigenlayer isn't just, isn't just doing this. I guess the idea is there's sort of a credible, um, you know, a credible layer where they've just onboarded a bunch of these AVSs and operators, and then you have the the liquid restaking tokens. What what their value proposition is is they're basically creating different products, which might uh, which might be different modules on the staking router. If we can draw that analogy, it's the same reason that Ethereum itself has not enshrined liquid staking, um, because it. then Ethereum would need some sort of governance body that determines how stake is allocated across node operators. And that adds tons of bloat to Ethereum, you know, governance, number one. And number two makes, you know, Ethereum's no longer neutral, right? And Eigenlayer knows that, you know, they're taking the same approach where the biggest version of itself is one that is as, you know, thin as possible and as unopinionated as possible um, as it relates to who's, you know, leveraging this, this marketplace and, and who gets the supply side deposits, right? And so Eigenlayer itself doesn't, you know, basically wants to maintain complete neutrality here. But, you know, we can get into this a little bit later. They're very, you know, wary of like where this can go. Um, and that maybe just one other thing to say, you know, on this diagram that we've, we've thrown up here, this is the dominant model. Um, this model where basically the users just deposit into the liquid, you know, restaking protocol. And then that's where their journey ends because the liquid restaking protocol will, will, will basically handle the rest for them. Um, and, and this model kind of assumes that the majority of this, you know, of their market just wants extra yield and doesn't actually care about like which AVS is it, it they're restaking to. Um, there are other models here that, that I think yeah. will be tried where it basically, you know, you, if you're an LST holder, um, you could deposit into Eigenlayer, then you could choose your AVS, right? And the operator, and then you could borrow off of that position. You could mint, you know, some LTV based off of the individual risks of your, you know, position, um, some stable coin or some, 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 ETH, you know, based derivative. Um, now I think that that is maybe the less popular route here because I think most people are recognizing that in the same way that, you know, Lido is not bending over backwards to, to let users basically choose which staking module they are, they are like allocating their stake to, um, cause it creates lots of like fungibility issues and it's just like shown the market doesn't actually want that. Right. Um, like that's where 
where people are, why people are, are, are most of these projects are going this, this vault route. Um, but I did want to call out that you could basically, you know, at the risk of like losing fungibility or at the risk of maybe not being able to mint, you know, one-to-one from your position, um, you could have a similar sort of like end product, but letting the users have more control over exactly where their deposits are going. Yeah, this is exactly the, the conversation again, to maybe to refer to an episode that you and I did with Izzy of Lido and Ashin of Obel labs we talked we we got really in the weeds of what the staking router was going to look like and you know there was a, a big conversation about you know especially i think this comes up with institutional staking something like that where they're like look we we want to stake here but we need to know who our counterparties are so we need to be able to choose validators who have been kyc'd and line was like well i mean we can't really do that because then you know you have a direct position with these specific set of validators and the position isn't fundable fungible and that defeats what we're trying to do here with making steeth this this fungible asset it, it kind of sounds like with this alternative model where users have a little bit more choice they get to select one avs something like they have they have a preference maybe for this avs or the set of operators or whatever i know there are technically two sub models there one where you can select the avs and the operators one where you can only select the avs yeah but just for simplicity's sake let's just say you get to select the avs and you can kind of construct your own risk profile and then instead of minting one-to-one similarly to lido there's underwriting of risk and say well you're selecting really risky avs's here so we have to build in some loss provisions so you can only get 75 percent ltv something like that right looks looks more like maker frankly right looks makerish yeah yeah yeah. depending on like you 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 know your collateral is a reflection of like the the asset itself and the you know in this case avs and operator and based off of those you know risk uh parameters you can mint you know up to up to one but likely less than one uh one-to-one right um so yeah i think i think that's kind of laying at the lay of the land right now um and there's lots of interesting competitive dynamics and maybe we can get into, you know, st- starting to get into, I guess, before the competitive landscape, like, you know, is this good? Is th- why might you think this is good? Why might you think this is bad? If you're say in the shoes of somebody at Eigenlayer or just, you know, a general Ethereum stakeholder. Before we get into even the, like, is this good or bad? Let's talk about some of the competitive dynamics here. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about this actually from that. Cause there, the way that I see it right now, there are, there are multiple different stakeholders here. There's the liquid restaking tokens, right? There's Eigenlayer itself here. There's actually kind of Lido, um, which I, again, there is the possibility from an operational standpoint that you could have like a solo staker, which is rehypothecating their their stake through something like Eigenlayer. But let's just assume for the most part, yeah. this is going to be people taking their steeth and then dumping it into the these liquid state restaking vaults. Yep. I mean, yep. We we talk one of the one of the uh, words that we used to describe uh, the relationship between Lido and Eigenlayer in this last season was coopetition because there's always this sort of threat like consideration of vertical integration right so mostly the strategy of these protocols has been you know what you just said sort of minimizing surface area and making it a very thin very credible layer that people can build on top of but you know from the perspective of Lido. They, for something like the staking router, they can roll out a restaking module and then compete directly with Eigenlayer, something like that. So there's always kind of this idea of vertical integration. Where do those, do those sorts of same tensions exist, you know, here? Um, and how, if you're, if you're putting yourself in Eigenlayer's shoes, how are they feeling about these 
low-code restaking tokens that are kind of building themselves around your protocol. Yeah. Okay. So I, I think this is going to be one of the most daunting competitive landscapes of, of any like area of crypto for the next, mm. I would say like one to two years. Um, cause if you are a, a liquid restaking protocol, um, let's look at what the competitive landscape looks like. You have, uh, at least 10 other liquid restaking protocols that are all basically either have your exact already. same model. Yeah. Already. <laughs> or, or some variation of your model. Okay. So you're competing with them in terms of, you know, like brand distribution, value prop, um, I would say like all of that normal thing, all of that normal stuff. Right. Um, now where this gets interesting, I think that you alluded to is that if you're a liquid restaking protocol, again, your demand side are basically LST holders and native stakers. Those are the people that are wanting extra yield and using you to get it. Your supply side is, are the AVSs that you basically allocate stake to. Now, I think L liquid restaking protocols are gonna face competition from both their demand side and their supply side. So let's maybe touch on this for a second. To your point, if your demand side of deposits and are, you know, the vast majority of them are LSTs and the vast majority of those are, you know, one or two LSTs, um, you, those LSTs, whether it's Lido or, you know, Rocket Pool um, or Stater or another one, right? They're going to probably know the amount of leverage they have over your protocol, right? Um, and they're going to understand that they can, you know, potentially just, you know, pull all of that stake back in and then provide that same service, um, you know, with, with only one counterparty now from like the eyes of the user, right? They don't have to worry about Lido and, you know, the LRT protocol. They only have to worry about Lido and they get both. Um, I would argue the LSTs, it, it, let's be honest, it's like Lido and then there's everything else. Um, I think Lido, it, it is, you know, easiest for some, for them, obviously, like they have the most leverage to, to compete if they wanted to, but I would argue that like that in, in some ways flies in the face of, of what they're trying to do from like a long-term strategic vision, which is making the protocol as thin as possible. And, you know, um, it's, it's, it's governance minimized as possible. You're now adding a second product to Lido. And I, and I feel like that at some point, you know, kind of flies in the face of, of everything they're trying to do to become, you know, a, equivalent to ETH itself, um, and becoming the biggest version of itself. All of these self-limiting debates probably, you know, get pretty intense once if Lido were to choose Alto to take on liquid restaking, right? Um, so I, I'd just be- I agree with you. I would I say, can, yeah. Yeah. I'd I say the supply side is like everybody outside of Lido is going to want to try to do this to capture more market share. Um, I just have a hard time seeing Lido do it in their you know, next like one to two years. Um, okay. So that's the, that's your demand side. They could compete with you if they have enough leverage. Sorry, I have a question there. Do you see, okay, so there's, let's say actually say there's three groups of actors here that are influential. There's Lido, and we think that probably based on, this is everything that we heard from the Lido folks in liquid restaking, or the liquid staking season. The long-term strategic values to be is credibly neutral, very thin layer, governance minimized. And even just with all these self-limiting debates, okay, probably not going to be them. Then there's maybe a, a long tail of liquid stakers, maybe the, the, the rocket pools of the world, and maybe they have a little bit less to lose. 
And so maybe they're like, you know what, I'd like to have this too. And I, I won't have a ton of market share, but I could have this sort of compelling, uh, you know, they wouldn't sell it like this, but like a vertically integrated option here where from the user perspective, I can just stack all of my yield under one brand that I trust really easy and my margins are great and I have lower market share. Then there's the centralized entities. They're, they'd be the Coinbases of the world, right? Which they actually have a couple, they've got their hands in a couple of different pies. You know, they've got CBETH, They've, uh, you know, are participant in Alluvial and they've got the institutional sort of angle. So you ever see, you know, Coinbase entering the ring in something like this? I mean, what do you think about that? That's yeah. the other entity that I think would be interesting. Yeah, totally. I, I think it kind of depends on if Coinbase cloud. Uh, it, so first of all, I would say it, I think it's it's possible for their liquid staking products to do this. I, I don't think it's that as as likely but i do think their like actual institutional staking service so coinbase cloud like x bison trails and and like figment um you know players like that course one they will be you know some of the major operators of of these avs's and so if they have you know institutional clients that go into their own interface you know to stake with them um i think they'll probably offer you know restaking to the avs's all the only offer restaking to the AVSs that they support. So I don't think that they'll compete in terms of like liquid re re liquid restaking tokens. I think they will compete as like a front end for restaking. Okay, I like that take. Sorry, I interrupted you. Let's, let's no, talk about the other. All right, so now to the, okay, so if you're the liquid restaking protocol, you got to worry about, you know, your demand side. Now you, um, let's talk about the AVSs. Um, I think there are certain classes of AVSs um, like, let's say, another proof of stake chain um, that on the surface really want Ethereum security for bootstrapping. I, I think there's lots of reasons to want that. Lots of reasons why that's a better model than you know relying on your own native token from day one, which could have a very low market cap and is frankly just really expensive. But it would be even better if you could rent security and unlock that security and turn it into liquidity and users on your platform. And so I think that there are a lot of AVSs where, you know, it's actually a platform where you could then go do something where they're interested in Eigenlayer, not just for security, but also to have a chance at converting some of these stakers into users. Um, and so... What's the easiest way to do that? It's if I'm like a Steeth holder and I select, you know, your AVS um, to restake to, maybe you just unlock that stake and say you can go use it in for limited re like use cases in DeFi. Maybe if I'm like a, you know, a DEX app chain or something like that. Um, and I think that, I mean, what I'm getting at here is I think that there are a lot of AVSs that like, you know, are really interested in Eigenlayer to, for the chance of capturing those users and liquidity. And the best way to try to like do that is to basically launch like a liquid restaking token that's specific to your AVS and you can do, you know, very limited things with it, right? Does that make sense maybe? Yeah, that does make sense. Um, yeah, that's, that's a pretty interesting value proposition because, you know, it, it does sort of beg the question, you know, I mean, a, what the, the ultimate market structure is going to look like for other layer ones. I sort of actually, I feel feel like this might materialize more immediately with the form of the form of rollups. Actually, where okay, so for something like a layer one, 
at least the the business model sort of exists, but I, you know, whether you like it or not, but for, for layer twos, they're actually looking for, they're sort of looking for, you know, the reason for them to have a token and it makes sense maybe even outside of uh, layer twos, but something like subnets on avalanche or something like that for them to rent ETH security. But then, yeah, there is this kind of tension in between, maybe I want to do that for the time being. And then maybe you could talk a little bit about the user meta um, as well, because like sort of user acquisition uh, is a part of this as well. Um, but yeah, I, I kind of see, uh, a cl- I actually don't really know how to think about it yet, but it's a super, it's a super interesting dynamic. Yeah. Um, I like, I think what the, I'm, I'm also kind of getting at here is like, you see a lot of, you know, projects moving to ETH L2. You have a lot of projects that are basically trying to find ways to improve their Ethereum alignment. And I think what that the subtext there is sometimes we want to capture users and liquidity from Ethereum by presenting ourselves as more ETH aligned. Um, and one way to get more ETH aligned is to say we're like secured by Eigenlayer, um, secured by ETH stakers. Okay, that's that's great. But like, how do you convert that alignment into new into users and liquidity? Easiest way to do that is to unlock that you know restake value and and let it you know go deploy that into your uh, your specific DeFi ecosystem or your XYZ. So I think that yeah, I think I think they'll face I think they'll face pressure from their from their demand side. And what adds to that as well is that I think a lot of these AVSs, um, they'll be paying, you know, eigenlayer restakers in their native token. Right. Um yeah, and so these these liquid restaking protocols are gonna get, you know, an alphabet soup of of yield and all these different tokens. And what are their what are the liquid restaking, you know, protocols, what do their users want? They want more Ethereum, right? They don't want alphabet soup of, of rewards. Um, and so the 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 more the likely path here is that the liquid restaking protocols will get these rewards and all these random tokens. They will sell them and back into ETH and then redeposit that to compound the rewards, right? So now if I'm an AVS and I am getting the majority of my economic, you know, security, it's actually coming through, you know, eigenlayer via this liquid restaking protocol. You know, I'm sure I'm getting security, but that's, that security is not converting. I'm not converting that security into new users like I want to. And it, you know, this liquid restaking protocol is like insta dumping my, my reward token. So I'm feeling a lot of sell pressure now. Alternatively, I get them to stake, restake directly to me by offering this, you know, platform specific liquid restaking token. Now that those rewards are not being insta dumped necessarily because they're being, you know, it's it's accruing back to a user who's using them in DeFi. And so you've converted the user into, you know, uh, you've converted the security into a new user into liquidity on your platform and you avoid the sell pressure. And so I think that like, the incentives, um, you know, on, on one side, it's great because this is going to funnel in, I think, net net more like economic security than than if, you know, Eigenlayer didn't have liquid restaking tokens. And that's good for AVSs because they get they have more security, right? Um, on the on the downside, you know, I think that they would really, really prefer that like in some ways that they could just get that restaking and turn those into users and avoid the sell pressure, right? Yeah, I was actually, I wonder if this is going to be such a basic question for this podcast because kind of a fundamental premise to Eigenlayer, but I'm now really trying to put myself in the shoes of someone who wants to rent ETH security. 
let's say I have the sovereignty of being able to uh, launch my own token. I wonder if there's a little bit of an analogy here in between countries managing foreign exchange reserves where they keep a bunch of their reserves in something like a US dollar, but then they can print their own currency. And what they kind of have to worry about is exchange rate risk. Dual dual token models. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of what that sounds like. Because, you know, immediately where my head goes is like, okay, well, I don't actually know if that sounds like that good of a deal. Okay. I want ETH security. And the reason that I want that ETH security is because I'm just printing tons of my token. And I have this crazy inflation rate. But, you know, the advantage of that is I can always just decide. Well, well, hold on. I would say that you don't need to print crazy amounts of your your token if you're getting ETH security, right? You you actually have to print like less because you're not having to convince people to go buy your random token and stake it. That's what I meant. Sorry, that's what I meant. So in in the situation where you haven't rented ETH security, that is the relationship. And there's a trade-off in between, you know, you have to convince these people to do this crazy stuff and you have a higher inflation rate. Um, but you have total sovereignty over that as opposed to something where you have this this li- this uh, liability in the form of you have to pay for this e-security, which is denominated in something that you don't actually control. And you're trading off in one instance, uh, almost like execution risk uh, versus exchange rate risk. And I, I, that's kind of an interesting, I, I think there'll be plenty of protocols that opt for that. I do think the point that you're making here is very key about potential user acquisition and ETH alignment and all of that stuff. I feel like that's a that's a critical point as well. Yeah, yeah, and I think I think it you know at some point you can basically use Eigenlayer for bootstrapping, but then once you're a certain size, you can start to wean off of it um, because at that point you can actually introduce your your native token that has some some material value, right? Um, and so you can be shifting the you know, proportions of where the security is coming from, you know, away from it being a hundred percent eigenlayer and it costing you that much to, okay, maybe now my protocol is like actually making money and I can, you know, I just direct that real yield to stakers. Um, I hate that word real yield, but yeah, you know what I mean? I do. All right, everyone getting to be that time of year again, where we are four months out from DAS London the largest, oldest institutional conference in all of crypto. But it's also Thanksgiving and Black Friday. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, Mike, I'm a loyal listener of Bell Curve here. I've been wanting to go to Das London, but I've been waiting for my Black Friday deal. I just haven't seen something from you yet. Well, don't you worry, dear listener. I and the good marketing folks at Blockworks have intuited that, and we are rolling out our Black Rock Friday deal special. See what we did there? Black Rock Friday. Institutions are coming and all that. For the next five days, if you head over to the Das London site, which you can see linked in the show notes here, you will get 20% off of the group packs. So that's four packs. So grab family members that are interested in crypto, grab folks from your company and come hang with the growing list of speakers in London. We've got the guys from Framework, Santi's coming out there, Evgeny Gavoy of Wintermute, a bunch of the big European funds, Electric, 1KX. This is going to be a really, really good one. So Hope to see you there with the entire BlockWorks family in London in March. I've got one more question for you, almost from the the a sort of a strategic or go-to-market standpoint from the perspective of these different liquid restaking protocols. And then let's return to that question that you posed about, is this good or what are the, the broader implications of this even existing as a thing? So I I feel like, let's put ourselves in the shoes. Let's say you, we're not, well, we're still you know Mike and Miles, but you and I are launching a liquid restaking uh, token provider, right? We're like, we're going to, we're going to do this. We're going to compete with our uh, supply and demand sides that are trying to squeeze us because there's massive market opportunity. And we think we've got what it takes. Let's walk down the set of decisions that we would need to make. One, 
One, I think, would be, are we retail focused or are we institutionally focused? And I think that's going to be like there are some you can you're starting to see this within liquid staking, which is I think it's sort of starting to cleave a little bit in between retail, which is kind of the Lido version. And Lido folks, if you're listening to this, please correct me if the the intent is to pursue the you know make some changes to liquid staking or the staking router and to pursue the institutional market as well. But but let's just say Lido kind of dominated retail, and the benefit of that is it's mostly retail here now. And they got you know huge power laws. They got all this market share. The downside is maybe the retail money runs out, and eventually you need institutional money to come in. And also, you have this you know virulent response from the community. This you know Lido isn't aligned, and this social scaling dilemma. Then on the, the for the institutional angle, it's kind of a different value proposition, right? You are you're pursuing a group of capital. Uh, like pools of capital ultimately that are much larger, but are probably longer term customers. And maybe you're taking the risk that you're too early for something like this. And you're hoping that, you know, these big macro funds or long only mutual fund ETFs are going to get staking all of a sudden. And then just, you know what I mean? I, how would you assess that kind of trade-off of pursuing an, an institutional or retail solution? And, or, or am I making a, a dichotomy out of nothing? No, no, I think, I think you're, I think that's right. Um, I don't know. There's, there's just part of me that I think I can see the path to like institutional staking very clearly. Um, I can see the path to staking becoming like, you know, commonly incorporated into Ethereum investment products and ETFs. Um, and I can see like basically the preconditions, like the types of solutions where this might actually work, uh, to get those, to get that capital, you know, from fiduciaries and actually have it staked um and and that really comes down to like i think the counterparty risk with the node operators that that it the capital is being staked to um and so from that side i have a hard time actually seeing um into the same sort of penetration into liquid restaking apart from when you're adding zero counterparty risk like the, if you feel comfortable staking with Figment or Coinbase Cloud, the only way that restaking, you know, you could see yourself entering restaking is, is probably through those same operators. Um, and so I think that, again, that's why I kind of pointed at the native staking and native restaking as probably being, you know, the more likely sort of like competitor there. Um, I just have a hard time seeing, you know, Let's like if it's direct investments from like an institutional fund, a hedge fund, whatnot, um, you know, or like some of these, some of these market neutral yield shops, like I could totally see them like, you know, being amendable to this, but I think this is going to be one of those things again, where like, um, it's gonna, it's gonna start retail. It's gonna start for the yield that the risk on sort of like, you know, crypto native shops. Um, but this whole, I, I, I have a hard time seeing this like, you know, restaking incorporated into you know, an ETF at any point. Yeah, all right. So I agree with that. And maybe to compound your thinking there, one of the dynamics that you and I talked about in our liquid staking season was that eventually it looks like the yield that just gets paid out to stakers or vanilla liquid stakers is trending down probably because for, for two reasons. One is the stake rate goes up. That's just less consensus layer rewards going on but i but i also think that we've probably seen a 
now that I say this, it's going to be the opposite, but a, 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 maybe a local peak in terms of MEV. Just this, even this last season of Bell Curve, been really focused on DEXs. And this, every AMM operator that you talk to, are they are single-mindedly focused on minimizing the amount of MEV that leaks out of their app. And I actually, it's funny, I went into this season thinking it's going to be this competition in between LPs and swappers. And it's like, no, actually, they're just like, there's this huge other problem to solve before we even get to that dynamic, which is, you know, lever. So our LPs getting screwed by sex to dex arbitrage and, you know, 1559 and gas costs and all this stuff. And they're, they're, you know, single-mindedly focused at recapturing a lot of that or redirecting it back to the app layer to the stakeholders of their platforms. So I kind of feel like the 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 staking yield for ETH is going to go down, which is going to push people into restaking, liquid restaking. But the but the risk profile of someone who's willing to do that is probably not an institution. Yeah, at the very the only chance again is like it, the institution's not going to be basically like taking on additional risk with with operators that they don't know and AVSs that they don't know. Um, I do agree with you that like all of this leads to lower, you know, base, like risk, the risk-free rate, you know, comes down quite a bit. Ethereum security goes up a bit. That That's, that's, you know, healthy for the protocol. Um, but then, you know, finding like that, that next opportunity, I think is it's, it's going to take a little while for people to get comfortable with this, um, or at least the additional yield by that opportunity. I mean, if I could, I've heard, cause I've heard this referred a number of times, which is the idea of the risk-free rate. And I, we talked about it on podcasts before, and I never really know how I felt about it. The, it's, not, the, it's, not a, it's not a risk-free rate. Yeah, it's I, not. It's no, not. It's not. But And I, you know what? I ultimately think it's kind of silly to compare something like ETH staking yields to treasury rates. It's like, it's just not the same thing at all. You're, you're really, you make the decision to invest in ETH, and then you make the decision, do you want, you know, a little bit extra or not? But it's, it's not like people looking at, oh, you know, my ETH stake rate or my treasuries, like which one am I going to do? Like it's totally different. You get exposure to ETH. You know, that's where you're going to make or lose all yeah. your money. Yeah, yeah, It's not right. the, the 5% versus the 3%. So I just um, think that's, um, yeah. I don't know why that just crystallized with me this week. I was like, I feel like there's a pretty silly comparison. Yeah, make, it, actually. It is. Okay. One, one more sort of fun, even just hypothetical. Uh, and before we get into the bigger stuff, let's say go to market. Now, one of the things you and I talked about is, People tend to spend a lot of time talking about the supply side and how this is all going to work under the hood. Let's just assume somehow all of this works, right? What does the go-to-market strategy look like for from one of these protocols if you were kind of in charge? I, I have some ideas, but I'm curious to, to hear what you think. Yeah. I mean, I think, honestly, it's it's not that similar, not that dissimilar than normal LST protocols, right? Your first job is basically to establish like uh, a node operator set that you feel very comfortable that it's not going to lead to disastrous slashing, you know, like within with before you even get off the ground, right? Then you need to build up in that. Okay, so like number one is get the like supply side set up um, well. Number two is build liquidity, right? This is the same playbook. It's going to be going to the same venues, going to curve, going to market makers, and and you know maybe it's a little bit different now because we have like Uniswap and and. V3 and other sorts of like, uh, you know, AMMs and whatnot that this might like kind of get beyond curve essentially. Um, and then number three is, is you're going after integrations, right? 
and you want your user to be able to lend to borrow against their their assets as collateral you want to you know basically get this as much utility as possible for your for your liquid restaking token um and again i think the ceiling here is like you know how lido says our goal is basically to be as ubiquitous as as eth itself and to have the same utility as eth itself i think liquid restaking protocols are looking at steep and saying our goal is basically to be as ubiquitous as, or as close as we can to Steeth itself and, you know, have the same utility as Steeth. So I think like, you know, one outcome here is like you get, you know, the vast majority of, of staked ETH is through Lido and the vast majority of, you know, of restaked ETH is like through one winner. I think it is the same sort of like winner take most dynamics. Um, and then you have, you know, two very, very powerful entities, um, in, in Lido and whoever that winner is. Um, yeah. Yeah. The history of Lido is interesting. So, you know, P2P, I, I've heard actually, you know, Santi did a great episode with, with Jason on Empire a little while ago about actually being in the early days of some of the Tezos. I guess they hosted like sort of staking competitions. I don't even know what that means really, but apparently that team was just like crushing it. So they had, they had the team, right? Then they had, then they had the, the vision of, a lot of people, a lot of protocols said they were going to do this, but they started off and they were like, we're not immediately decentralizing our operator set, which was 100% the right move. So they had a really good strategy in terms of executing that. And then the thing that they got right on the distribution integration partnership front, but also kind of got a little bit lucky was the integration with Aave, you know, from the beginning. And, and Aave started to blow up. They became the dominant, you know, uh, liquid staking token on Aave. And it sort of kick-started kick this flywheel. So I was even thinking to myself, you know, if this were if this were you or me, and we we were sitting around and we were being like, we should be prioritizing, uh, you know, integrations. Would we be going after the Aves of the world where there's already you know like established, or are there upstart maybe new new protocols or something like that, or ecosystems or whatever where we could catch a protocol that's on the come up? And maybe the answer is both. But, you know, I'd be curious how, how you would view that. I actually, I actually I, I'm, maybe this is like counterintuitive, but I would take like that tried and true path. Um, I think what Lido didn't win on yield. It didn't win, you know, uh, because it like, honestly, it didn't even win because of those like integrations right away. It really won on brand, right? You, you feel like safe depositing to Lido. Their brand is as close as possible to like synonymous with with Ethereum staking as you can get. Um, you know, some of the dark arts here is like getting you know a lot of these politically influential figures within the Ethereum community to come out and say we support Lido, which hard to believe today, but like that was the case back then. Um, and so basically doing whatever is possible to have value accrue to your brand, and I think that like ways to screw that up is like you know, pouring on additional yield with like, you know, um, inflationary emissions of your own token, um, maybe going after like the most degen, you know, lending integrations, um, getting like, or, or, or maybe like trying to compete on yield by take, by being more risk on with like operators. Um, I think like what really solidifies like, you know, I guess the lead here is, is not necessarily the upside of like depositing into one of these protocols, but limiting the, the downside. Um, and then once you've kind of accrued that sort of like blue chip sort of brand impression, then you go to the Aves, right. Um, and, and you're going to have a better time getting integrated because 
they look at you as a responsible, you know, like <laughs> non-degen protocol. Yeah, I agree with all that. All right, why don't we why don't we move here to this this sort of discussion about whether whether or not this is is good or bad and and how we're thinking about this because I think even even when we were talking about restaking, we were a little bit on the maybe obviously very first of all extremely intellectually interesting idea, an enormous amount of merit. Kind of don't even doubt too much that it's going to be successful. I think people get a little bit spooked with this idea of rehypothecating ETH and multiplying claims on the same amount of underlying ETH and the additional amount of uh, you know principal agent risk that you take on there. And then liquid staking, liquid restaking just seems to compound all that. So, I mean, I guess, first of all, how do you think before we even get into our opinions, how do you think this is going to be viewed by something like the social layer of ETH and the Ethereum Foundation who have pretty publicly, I would say, not all of the Ethereum uh, Foundation, like Mike Neuter has been great and very balanced kind of takes on this, but, you know, um, yep. not, there have been some some public figures from the Ethereum Foundation who said, yeah, push back pretty openly against Lido. So, I mean, how do you think something like liquid restaking is going to be? Or even like I've said, come out and said, like, we need to treat restaking like AI, right? Like lots of guardrails and things like that. Right. So yeah. I, think, I think there's a couple different ways to like, you know, if you're in a, like thinking, if you're coming from the EF or like you're a, just a core Ethereum, you know, like stakeholder, um, you can look at this as, as good and bad. And that's a little bit different than the way that even like Eigenlayer itself looks at this as good and bad. Um, so maybe we'll start with like, if you're thinking about this from the perspective of like Ethereum itself, the base layer, if this is good or bad. Um, I think the good side is that Eigenlayer and, you know, liquid restaking on top of that is going to bring in more stake like to Ethereum, like the staking ratio will go up. The demand for staking will go up. Um, and that's a combination of looking for additional yield and now having ability to get additional yield. So that's good. The bad side is that, you know, kind of similar to liquid staking, um, people looking for additional yield typically are also the node operators themselves. Um, and so. I think the largest node operators for L1, which are already being looked at as like, ooh, they're, they're getting pretty big, are probably going to be the largest node operators for liquid restaking as well, right? Um, and, and Eigenlayer in general. Um, and it's important that they are, they are because like you, you want to have those, you know, professional node operators as, as training wheels to make sure that nothing breaks right away. Um, but I think that's generally how they're looking at it. It's just like, you know, okay, good in the sense that we'll, you know, increase the amount of economic security of Ethereum, potentially bad as a centralizing force. Um, then, okay, I think that's that's the base layer's view. And then let's talk about eigenlayer, because I think that like the if you're if you're in, you know on the eigenlayer team, this is probably even more interesting. Um, and eigenlayer, if you're on that team, why would you like liquid restaking tokens? Well, I think it like this is not for sure a thing, but I think it I think it brings in net more TVL if you don't make users pick the AVS and operator and, and like take on those decisions, frankly, I agree. I think, I think, I think if there was like, you know, if there was like, if you, without liquid restaking, maybe it's like, you know, a billion dollars of, of TVL. Um, if there's, if they're with liquid restaking, it could be double or, or much more than that. Um, and 
that's not just because you're like taking that choice off of the user's um, backs. It's also like you're breaking a trade-off, which is, I think, again, like if you were without these things, you would have a liquid token steep, you would restake it, and now it's illiquid again, right? You, you lose your you lose your liquidity um, with 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 regular eigenlayer. Um, so, right. What what's good about this? It brings in more more deposits. What's bad about this? This is where it gets interesting. I think um, it. You could argue if maybe you know to pull that like diagram back up again. Liquid restaking protocols are wedging themselves in the middle of the marketplace. Um, and if one of them becomes dominant, basically the deposits that come into them, right, they become basically kingmaker for how, for which AVSs get to receive those deposits. And so you can see a situation where let's say the 80% of all, you know, restaked ETH has been deposited to one liquid restaking protocol, the marketplace, the competitive, you know, dynamics of the marketplace completely break down, right? The liquid restaking protocol has complete control over like which AVSs actually get any sort of economic security from, from, from Eigenlayer and they have pricing power over that. Um, and that's, I think why, you know, Eigenlayer is, is sort of weary of this. They're saying, okay, first of all, like we lose the user relationship because like the UX, they never actually touch Eigenlayer, but the demand side economics for Eigenlayer, which is the AVS is, you know, they, they could break down because they're basically would be, you know, at the uh, mercy of the liquid restaking protocol instead of at the mercy of Eigenlayer to onboard them to like the slashing veto council or something like that. Right. Yeah. It's an interesting, I, I don't have many thoughts that I basically agree with all of that. I think, yeah, I think you should always be wary when you're losing the relationship with the user. I do tend to agree with the Cosmos point of view on this, that the, your proximity to the user is just an enormous amount of leverage that you're, you're never going to lose. Same time. I do feel like this is definitely going to increase usage for Eigenlayer itself. Yeah. Because it, you know, it increases the demand for people that want to restake because then you have another liquid token that you can do something with. So, and, and, and at the same time, like what can Eigenlayer do, right? It, they yeah, could... yeah. That's kind of the point, right? Of being a, a protocol with that strategy. You, don't you sort of want people to, to build on, to build on yeah, you? I mean, right. right. And, yeah. and, 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 and if Eigenlayer was in charge of how, you know, liquid, how the restaked ETH was allocated across the AVSs, it's no longer a neutral marketplace in the same way that if Ethereum enshrined liquid staking and then decided which node operators get staked, it's no longer like, you know, a neutral sort of marketplace um, with its, with its supply side. So I think they can't do a lot. That's the, that's the reality and, and anything they, they can do at the moment um, that's directly competitive is, is at odds with their, with their grand vision um and if you remember eigenlayer's grand vision is to be you know more or less enshrined into ethereum itself um right or at least some of like the core functions and maybe eigenlayer's like you know it's more of a front end for like those core functions um i think it's kind of an interesting dynamic here where maybe the biggest version of this liquid restaking protocol is one that eventually gets enshrined into eigenlayer you know um when they have to work out that's what i was gonna say Maybe a, a baby step for that, Miles, would be like a stamp of approval from Eigenlayer. 
Like uh, you could you could imagine, you know, so it would be very powerful from the perspective that you in that way you you don't maybe need to enshrine the whole thing, but you can just say, hey, basically this is eigenlayer approved. That that yeah. would immediately have the effect of if it's not eigenlayer approved, way less people would use it. But there there are a number of protocols that I think this is starting to apply to. Almost a boring kind of marketing strategy question, but one where you don't necessarily have the direct relationship with the user and you need to market around uh, someone who is standing in between you and the user. The example that I'll give you is drug com pharmaceutical companies in the US. Very simplified uh, supply chain here. Makers of these pills, doctor's offices and hospitals that distribute <laughs> the pills, patients, right? And what, what, you, what you see, actually, this is where you see these horrible ads. These are the worst ads in the face of the planet, but they just roll these things on TV you know, so that you can have a relationship with whatever this, this, yeah. uh, you know, medication. It's effective. I don't know what the hell Sky Rizzy is, but I see a commercial for it like every other day. And, yeah. And so I'm you'll like, go to talk to your doctor. If, <laughs> if God forbid you get whatever disease Sky Rizzy yeah. treats, <laughs> then, then you're going to yeah. be like, wait, but this is the one that I know. Yeah. And, and there's some element of that here. And maybe there's a soft enshrinement. So I agree. Yeah, that's, that's kind of what I was referring to with the dark arts of getting those politically influential figures to come out and support you in the same way that I, uh, Lido had a bunch of, you know, advisors that were working at the EF and, and shout, singing its praises as like, you know, the, the, what's basically our, our, our counter position versus like this, you know, centralized staking risk, right? Or the exchange, centralized exchange staking risk. It was like, no, use Lido. I don't think there's going to be anything like that here where the, a liquid restaking protocol could frame itself as solving a problem for Eigenlayer and getting that support that way. But if I were one of these liquid restaking protocols, I'd want to be positioning myself as, you know, two Eigenlayer is, okay, if this is going to be a thing, I want these guys to be the winner because they're going to make it as decentralized as possible. They're going to protect the users as much as possible. I don't want the, you know, the ones that are basically like maximizing yield and, and trying to get like, you know, Agreed. Doing, taking the degen path to all this. Um, so yes, that, but that accrues to brand as well as like what I was getting at earlier, right? Having Eigenlayer or somebody influential come out and say like, no, these are the adults in the room. Like if you're going to do this, we want you to, you know, use, use them. I agree. Okay. Let's talk about even on a high level, not from the perspective of the base layer or Eigenlayer, like do you and I, what, what do we think about this? And maybe, cause I actually have a, I, I have a, maybe a more positive view to end on here, but to just clearly spell out, I think the risks to this is, I mean, you're, you're taking on a lot of principal agent risk with something like this. And it would be interesting to get either folks from Eigenlayer or one of these liquid restaking tokens on to debate if this is creating leverage. But in a sense, I sort of feel like it is creating leverage. You're creating ex multiple different claims on the same underlying spot ETH. And one thing I've been worried about for a while is I kind of, I worry that we might've learned the wrong lesson during this last blow up and everyone blamed because they deserved it, frankly, centralized finance. And they said, look at this opaque system, like centralized finance. Uh, th this would never happen if this was in DeFi and look at Aave and compound and all these protocols ended up working out. It's kind of like, well, yes. And I want to believe that narrative. And I do think in a, in a, in a long-term future, putting things on chain radically does increase transparency and solves that problem. But I don't think we're there yet. And just to, to re-show you this, this uh, diagram, 
because it shows at the base layer or at, at a very fundamental level that the Federal Reserve or JP Morgan or MakerDAO or Steeth or Eigenlayer or any of these liquid restaking protocols, they're built in the same way and they have very similar challenges of managing assets and liabilities. And frankly, let's just let's just be honest. Eventually, these things will be transparent and on-chain. There'll be these services that we can track it one for one in real time. Check the code is kind of a meme now. There aren't enough people that actually know how to check the code. And I just don't really believe in that. So I, for the time being, eventually I do. But for now, I think we have to acknowledge that there are too few people who actually know how this stuff works for it to be usefully transparent. And it's very, very complicated. And so I sort of worry going into this next cycle because you can see this. There is a lot of on-chain infrastructure being built, which is awesome. That is so good. That's 100% the direction that we should go. But I think we should go eyes wide in saying a lot of the challenges that blew up these centralized lenders are going to come to these decentralized protocols. And we shouldn't just kid ourselves and say it's all on-chain, it's decentralized, Don't we shouldn't worry about it. There probably are going to be stresses to the system on the DeFi side of things during this next cycle. And let's just call a spade a spade, you know, restaking and liquid restaking does not alleviate the stresses that would happen in that case, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, I think I, I agree with all that. I, I would say that I think a lot of, um, a lot of this is kind of going to have to be a, a collaborative effort at, at making good decisions. Um, and I, what I mean by that is it's not just on the liquid restaking protocols and, you know, being smart about like who, which AVS is they onboard, um, and in operators, they onboard, it's not just about Eigenlayer being smart about like, you know, the slashing veto committee and, and onboarding through that only like, you know, I would say like safe sort of AVS setups. It's also on like the Aves of the world, right. Um, to not allow like, or at least be like pretty conservative with things that could make this 10 times worse. Cause if we remember liquid staking really blew up once, you know, Ave onboarded Steeth and then people could run that loop to, you know, like basically have like a three X leverage on, on staking. Well, imagine if you take three X leverage on staking, you have that Steeth and then you put it into Rio or another liquid restaking protocol. And then you take your, you know, liquid restaking token back to Ave and you could do like three more loops on it. Right. And that's when this thing like gets really scary. Um, that's just like one example of a, a DPEG sort of like cascading collateral, um, you know, impact here. And that's when like, I think you could see the withdrawal queue, you know, end up with like months at long, like, like withdrawal times, uh, because every, because Eigenlayer is trying to withdraw this ETH, the slash, and then you have lending protocols that have bad debt because like that, that ETH, you know, needs to be repaid somehow. Right. So like all this thing, all this is like kind of, you know, there's a lot of like interconnected pieces here. Um, but I will say it's in general good that. I think that this is now opening up the design space for like different sorts of security models because we have this big pool of capital that is like ready to go, you know, either secure machines that are doing a job. Like that's the, that's the general idea right now. But like, I think that there's, you know, if it's there, I think things like, you know, interesting insurance models could become, could become a thing. That's not like traditional restaking. You're not taking staked ETH and giving it to another machine who's doing a job, but maybe you just let it, you know, it, it's there, it's available to be drawn upon if like something happens. Um, because yeah, I think, I think like staking is, is, you know, it's kind of 
been the first use case for all this, but I could be a lot more. So I tend to, so maybe to end on the, the positive scale, I think ultimately this ends up being a pretty dominant model. And I kind of think it's the way that TradFi works in a not bad way. I think just describing my own journey going through TradFi, because Trad in especially in the US and, and just Western markets, everything is highly financialized. And I think it's really easy to look at that and say, man, why do we need all this financialization? These people are just pushing paper around, creating derivatives, getting rich, doing nothing. And we've probably taken it too far. But and when you look under the hood, there's some really good reasons for that financialization. I give you an example, the 30-year mortgage. That's not uh, an animal that you find in the wild, so to speak, right? That that relies on derivative and swap markets um, and actually degens to take the other side of interest rate swaps. So there's there's good to, to financialization as well. And I think this is what a, a natural thing that was going to happen in crypto because we're not actually that wildly different. We have better systems, but it's the same overall principles and financial gravity still applies. And if we're going to be basing the next financial system on any one asset, I'd rather it be ETH. And I think there's a, I think there's a pretty bullish ETH argument to be made here because I, you know, exporting security like this, exporting ETH is a, is, um, it's actually something I once thought Bitcoin would be able to do, but I, I think they've chosen a very different path. And instead, you know what it actually reminds me of is treasuries. So the dynamic of the world is, is in treasuries is we export treasuries to the rest of the world through raising debt. And then those treasuries are the collateral that a bunch of company, uh, countries sorry, end up using A, either as a foreign exchange reserves or B, to fund additional projects. Consider it security, right, in this in this instance. And what that looks like, that's essentially what Ethereum is doing right now. It is exporting its its asset to all of these other ecosystem country type things. And it is the closest thing that I have seen in crypto to date of transitioning purely from a commodity to something like a denomination. And you like I push back on this idea of ETH being ultrasound money, but you know, there is there is a deep analogy to be made here from treasuries. And I feel it is it is pretty bullish and for the endurance of ETH at being at the base layer of of this yeah ecosystem. Right. Good for capital efficiency, which is good for new products and investment. Um yeah, I, I agree with you. Crypto crypto native treasuries. Wait, I thought we said this staking was not the risk free rate. Now, 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 we're, not now, now, not now, now, now maybe, now. maybe. Okay. it okay. doesn't become the risk-free sure. rate until you're not picking okay. beta really on, on ETH. But here's, here's the, um, here's the, uh, the other little idea that I would leave you with is I feel like this trend is the inverse of the real world asset trend. And what I mean by that is real world assets, they, they, they probably still are going to be a, a big thing and I wouldn't, wouldn't sleep on them. But I think the real reason why they, existed is there is a profound lack of collateral that exists on chain, like pristine on chain collateral and Bitcoin for better or worse, because of the design of its protocol and how ossified it is, it doesn't really interact with the rest of crypto. And so you've kind of got ETH. And then if you're a protocol like maker and your, your, the demand for your product depends on the demand to borrow against basically just ETH, you're limited in terms of growth. But I feel like this is the first real step in exporting the amount of claims on on that ETH and creating 
real collateral in totally on-chain, self-contained way, which I think is better and neater than real-world assets anyway. So safer, kind of feel safer, safer too, in some ways. Don't have the Oracle problem. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I totally agree with that. I would say like I, I'm rooting for Babylon, also like to maybe help export um, Bitcoin. I was going to say, I just think that reminds me of Babylon. It, yeah. It's a tough. It's a tough sell to the holders given their personas at the moment, and just naturally, there's like less you can do with it. Um, but yes, I, I totally agree. Um, so it's a little, it's all more native here, I guess. You know, it's kind of interesting to think about, like, if uh, maybe there's an alternative to rollups where you don't have to have the constraints of a rollup, but you are economically secured by Ethereum. Um, you know, is that good or bad for for ETH? You know, long term. Um, and the market, by the way, when I say it, like the mark, if the market says like, you know, no, this is just as good for like us as a roll up, then, you know, that that will be like the outcome, whether ETH likes it or not. And whether is that good for Ethereum? I think it still could be good because again, like this is increasing the staking ratio, which takes liquid ETH out of supply, which, you know, drives demand for ETH staking. Like it, it all, you know, could actually help the price of Ethereum, even though it's really directly benefiting Ethereum supply side by giving it extra yield. I think it also could potentially help ETH holders at some point. I, we'll I agree. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. We were talking about that a little bit before. It's, it's, it's hard to really speculate on, is this going to be directly good immediately for the value accrual or, or whatever? But I, I think long-term, there's, there's no doubt that this is very good for Ethereum and good for crypto. And these kinds of ideas and these big swings, obviously there's risk. You know, don't want to downplay that. Feel like we did a good job of underscoring what that risk is. This gets me excited. This this is a big idea, and this is, I feel like, why we're here, kind of to to take these big swings and really cool ideas like this. Yeah, it, I totally agree. It fires me up. Is how I honestly I'm feel about it. Really excited about it. Really excited about like just to see how these competitive dynamics play out. Um, you know what people end up like the design space that a lot of this opens up from a like security model angle. Um, now that you have all this, you know, consolidated capital that's looking to do some, you know, looking to earn additional yield, there's, there could be a lot there. Um, yeah. So saddle up. We'll see how it goes. Saddle up, baby. Uh, do your own research, know your risks, be safe. You know, don't do anything, don't do anything dumb, but I think at least from, from where we're sitting, it's, it's safe to at least get intellectually, excited about this and, and watch how it plays out. So absolutely. All right, partner. This was a good one. I think we did our subject justice here. Hopefully. I I, I think in, we might have some more eigenlayer related stuff as as the start. Oh start starts to actually yeah, maybe, yeah. Maybe just a tease. Oh, a little tease. Yeah. Maybe we do, Miles. Server. Yeah. We'll drop uh, some more more tidbits and hints like that. But uh yep, yeah yep. maybe look out for something else for all right. Yeah. Sounds good, All right, man. All right buddy. See ya.